morning. How is everybody? Fantastic. Grab a seat. Thank you very much, guys. That was awesome. Let's give these guys a hand. Been here since the crack of dawn, preparing to serve you. Worship our Lord. Right. He's got their Bible. Oh, good news. I found my Bible. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. It was in the youth section. Like, how did it get there, guys? Anyone tell me how that happened? The kids section. It was one of them, was it? All right. So I, um, I, I like this Bible. I used to give away a, a lot of Bibles, and they used to come back to me. And now I just take their phone and download it for them. But I did leave some notes in here, though. I noticed my notes were still in there, just in case someone did find it. And uh, it just says here, if at any time the owner of this Bible, along with many other Christians, have mysteriously disappeared, and you don't know why, immediately read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 5 to 2, Matthew 24, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, to explain what has occurred. <laughs> now go to John 1 verse 1 and start reading. Pay close attention to chapter 3 and then keep reading. Once you get to Romans 10, 13, pause, take a moment, reflect. Now, depending on your choice, continue reading all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21, where it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, you know what you should do. God bless. Praise the Lord. I don't know if the kids read that, but um, we'll have a look there. All right, guys, who's actually got their Bible? Who's downloaded their Bible? Look at these mighty men in the front row, you champions. All right, Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the New King James, so if you've got a different version, don't read aloud. But before we read the Word, this is the Word of God, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your tremendous love that you displayed and poured out for us on the cross. When you took our place, Lord God, and you paid the price for our sins, your body was broken in our place, Lord God. You shed your blood to wash away our sins. We thank you for the day of Pentecost when, Holy Spirit, you were poured out, that our sin was forgiven. You can dwell with us, Lord God, and you are here now with us. And we pray as revealed truth, give us revelation through your prophets ages ago, Lord God, that you would help us to understand revealed truth. Give us revelation, Holy Spirit. You are our honored guest in this house. And I pray you speak to every single person in this room today. And I pray, God, that you would anoint me to deliver the mail this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Kale, good to see you, man. I've been praying for you. You're a good bloke. All right. Who's read the book of Daniel? Yeah, I like Daniel. Daniel. All right. We're in the Old Testament today. Just give you a quick uh, run through, okay? Uh, the book of Daniel. Okay, chapter one is an introduction to the person of Daniel. Speaks of his uh, tests and the developing of the prophetic interpretational skills that he has. Now, chapter 2 to 7 are outlining a series of visions and the interpretation. And then chapter 8 just totally switches gears, kind of like a Clinton Tarantino movie, and just goes straight into this prophetic vision of the future. It's pretty wild. Okay, now, Daniel, we believe he actually wrote this book because he refers to himself in the third, in the, um, in the first person a number of times. It was written in 536 BC, and it covers a, a period of time between 605 BC and, it's actually 69 years, between 605 BC and 536. Now, Jesus himself 
confirms Daniel as a prophet in Matthew 24. And Daniel's name means God is my judge. And if you, when we read through this today, you're going to see that this guy's unshakable consecration to Yahweh and his loyalty to God's people demonstrates that truth in his life. Am I moving too fast for you? Because I've got a lot of content here to cover and I haven't got enough time, so I'm just going to fly right over the top and you guys can go back and study it later, okay? All right. Now, Daniel's writing covers two kingdoms, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian Empire. He's writing across four kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. Now, many theologians point out the overriding theme of this book is God's sovereignty over people, over nations, past, present, into the future. I also believe there is an amazing picture, a second theme of God's grace and his undeserved favor. All right, now, turn with me to Daniel chapter 5, because we're going to land in the middle. This is what the Lord's put on my heart. But just after, let me just give you a background to this point, okay? The carrying away of the captives to Babylon, to Babylonian exile, right, as described in 2 Kings 24, is dated around 605 BC. Now, at this point in the background, Babylon has consolidated much of the Middle East, current-day Middle East, into its empire. Now, to govern such a vast empire requires a well-organized and skilled administration. And it's absorbed, out of all the territories and kingdoms that it absorbs, it would actually go through and pick out certain slaves that were well-educated and, pre and pre possessed particular skills that were needed. And this is where Daniel himself... And there's also three other Jewish boys that get picked out as well, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They enter the story early on. These are the guys in the, you know, in the Sunday school thrown in the fire. This is these fellas, right? They're kind of like, like the Jewish sort of D'Artagnan and the three musketeers, right? They're kind of the three of them together, right? And the four young Hebrews, right, selected for their wisdom, their knowledge, and it actually says their good looks because, you know, it helps, right? And they were put into a training program. They were secured positions in the king's palace and by all accounts they were eunuchs which for all you bible geeks know that they've been it's like a little bit too far on the circumcision right that's where it goes okay and daniel himself rose above all the wise men in this empire now daniel 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 i love daniel right daniel is a fascinating study in how not only to survive but to thrive and prosper in a sin-ridden pagan world right he rose to the top and became the prime minister under the king simply, simply by remaining faithful and obedient to his God no matter what, regardless of the consequences, even in the face of death, right? He didn't go around protesting his rights, you know, cry religious discrimination, you know, lobby for a religious freedoms bill. He didn't, you know, sit on Facebook and wait for that, I got your moment, and like, he didn't try, like, he just stood firm on what he believes, and that was it, regardless of what's going on around him. Now, I believe there's definitely some parallels with our world today, all right? This book is a timeless challenge to believers to stand firm, not compromise their testimony in all ages, all right? Even in the face of the fiery furnace, testing and risking of death. All right, cool. That's where we're up to, all right? We're going to go to Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Now, I haven't got much time, so we're just going to fly through and save you questions till the end. Verse 1, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Now, you say, Belshazzar, hang on, I thought 
Nebuchadnezzar was the king. Just so you know, right, this chapter is about 40 years after the previous chapter. For those of you who know the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was the king who had the vision. Daniel translated it. He threw his boys in the fire. They miraculously survived because Jesus was in there with them. And then at the end of it, God gets a hold of him, and he literally goes crazy. He goes out, bush starts eating grass. He turns into an absolute nutter, but comes back to God and gets saved. Now, by this stage, about 30 years later, Belshazzar is now the king. Now, he's actually the king in a co-regency. His father, Nebuchadnezzar, is actually the king. But Nebuchadnezzar is kind of busy going around conquering other empires and things like that. So he's left his son in Babylon as the co-regent. And I'll just touch on that later on. Now, a great feast, a great feast. This was a very common thing in Babylon. Remember the book of Esther? It starts off with a, with a great feast. And right now in the background, right, the Medo-Persian Empire is, has this city under siege. Right now, while this is happening, in, in, not now, but back when that was written, right? And this king, Belshazzar, is so confident that Babylon is unpenetrable that he's there partying with all his lords. And, and Babylon was such a big city. They actually had farms inside the walls. And the river Euphrates went straight into the city. So they had plenty of water. And he's just partying away. This is his way of sticking it up to the Persians. Like, you're not coming in here. We're going to party on like it's 1999 regardless, okay? Now, the lords, who are these guys? Now, the lords were like their regional governors. Now, these positions were usually allocated through family. Um, friends, family, just kind of like favors and political sort of arrangements to sort of maintain the control. So these are like all his homeboys, right? They're all in those positions because he's hooked them up. And now he's brought them all in, a whole thousand of them, and they're having a massive party, all right? Now, um, it says here they were drinking wine. Let me just assure you, these guys were not having a wine appreciation workshop, okay? The context here is that they were getting hammered. Okay, in the presence of the thousand. Now, we know that Proverbs 31, 11 says, It's not for kings, O Lamel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and prevent justice of all the afflicted. Now, there is a few verses in the Levitical law that actually outlaw drinking for priests and kings. But when we get to the New Testament, uh, you know, Paul says to to Timothy in Ephesians 5, 18, he says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of people have different ideas on this whole drinking thing like that. The issue here is if you're under the control of anything other than God, it's wrong. Now, if, we were, if I was to stand here and say, no, you can't drink, that would kind of go against where, you know, it talks about our, like, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Now, I mean, some people say that even Jesus drank wine because um, he was accused of being a wine bibbler, and he actually said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The consumption of alcohol is not the issue. It's the abuse of it and coming under its control. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right. Now, just to clarify that, verse 2. While he tasted the wine... Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple. Now that events back on the first verse of chapter 1. Uh, it's the temple which, he had, which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives, plural, <laughs> and his concubines might drink from them. Okay, now where it says his father 
Nebuchadnezzar, the, the term father, which is Ab in the Hebrew, brought in from the Chaldean, which is the language this book was written in, is not actually, uh, it's used very commonly to denote an ancestor. It's actually believed that Nebuchadnezzar was probably his grandfather, because Nebuchadnezzar would have been his father, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. Irrelevant to the story, but just a little fact there for you, right? Now, these vessels spoken of back in chapter 1, okay, these were from the temple. These were used in the worship of God. These were consecrated items that were specifically made under the direction of God to worship Him. Now, because Israel had kind of walked away from the Lord and, and sinned and refused to listen to God, God allowed them to get taken over and go into exile. So they're only really there because God allowed them to be there. And now He's bringing them out to show off His own glory so he knew what that, he knew they were used to, to, to worship the Hebrew God, and he wanted to use them to worship himself, right? Now the picture here, I, need you to, I want you guys to understand what's going on here, right? He's got not only one wife, he's got wives. Okay, it's actually estimated this could possibly be up near around the hundred mark. Okay, now I mean, have you ever seen the episode of The Bachelor? I mean, one episode, pick one. It's horrid, and they're not even married. Could you imagine that? And not only that, it says his concubines. You know what a concubine is? It's like, a, like an in-house prostitute. It's like, it's like your, your, your own sort of on-the-books, you know, prostitutes. These people were brought in to this party. So he's having a party with all his boys. You know, and like they're drinking. They're popping bottles. The crystal's out. Like they're drinking from the bottle. He brings in all his wives. And then he goes, oh, let's get the concubines in as well. Can you just see where this is going right now? Right? This is a whole new level of bad. This is this self-glorifying, debaucherous feast. Feast. <laughs> the whole thing is a whole new level of wrong. And then he decides to bring the vessels. Verse 3. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of God, in which had been in Jerusalem. And the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. Verse 4. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. So now they've moved from utter debauchery to idolatry. They took what was meant to be used to glorify God and they used it to glorify themselves. This is utter blasphemy, right? Belshazzar, we know that Nebuchadnezzar came to God in the previous chapter. Belshazzar, uh, Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, basically was a pagan, and he was all, he was all for the pagan world, and it, this here appears that Belshazzar has obviously not learnt from his grandfather, but he's, he's looking to glorify um, himself, but to also honour his father. He's not only is he, you know, thumb, you know, sticking his nose up at the Persians outside, He's also now mocking the Jews and their God. Belshazzar's toasting to the God of his father, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a pagan, is not following that example that Nebuchadnezzar set. Now, before we go ahead and judge King Belshazzar and think to yourself, how can he be that dumb and still breathe? What I want to propose to you is he's not that different from a lot of people today, is he? Babylon is not that different from the world that we live in today. What sacred things are there in your life 
that were meant to glorify God, yet we take for granted. And we, they become idol, idols in our life. And in the worst case, we use them to worship ourselves. This is flat-out idolatry. And idolatry is something that particularly God does not like and he often gets involved in because not only does it rob, it robs the person of what God has for them and, and totally just train wrecks the, the plan that he has, right? So in the case of Belshazzar right now, how long can this go on before God intervenes? Because his vessels are now being used for idolatry. So uh, go back to our life. How many things in our life are meant to, be, to glorify God, yet they become idols? Just a few. What about your job? Worshiping at, the, uh, worshiping at the altar of our own pride and ego often takes the form of an obsession with our jobs and careers. There's statistically millions of men in this country and the number of women keeps climbing, just, to, just keeps increasing, spend the average of 60 to 80 hours a week working, working weekends, holidays, Laptops and phones buzzing all the time. Minds spinning out of control with work stuff. How to get that promotion, how to get that raise, get the next deal. In the meantime, our children are starving for attention and love. You know, we fool ourselves into think we're doing it for them. To give them a better life. But the truth is we're doing it for ourselves. To increase our own self-esteem and appearing more successful in the eyes of the world. Is that fair? For some? What about other people? Many people in our lives can take the front seat, you know, consuming our thoughts, actions, energies, people, not God. Spouse, potential spouses, boss, our child. Some people are obsessed with entertainers and public figures. Another one, I think, is the challenges that we face in our life. Now, what I mean by that is, there's always going to be challenges, but nothing really takes your eyes off God than a solid life challenge. Do you agree? Sometimes even just the smallest hiccups in our routine can become the easiest distractions. Some people go from one challenge to the next not being able to see anything else. And what happens is they create an identity for themselves by what it is they're facing. Not, not receiving the, the identity that the Lord has given them. This ultimately robs them of any real breakthrough or accomplishments that God would bring into their lives. And we express all this on social media, don't we? I still remember the days phones were used to, like, call people. No longer just to communicate or to stay in touch with friends. But this subtle idol of self is its full modern-day glory comes from the form of likes, shares, follow accounts. Is that true? You agree? Yeah, there are studies, uh, there are, there's solid data now that shows that this leads to lower self-esteem and depression and suicide rates are on their way up as a direct result. Thank you, Facebook. Now, since I'm speaking to Christians, all right, real Christians here, all right, if you're not, just hold on to your seat because the other call's coming, all right, since I'm speaking to Christians, the church, well, how can the church become an idol? Well, the modern church is starting to produce a spiritual consumer mentality that's quickly replacing the purpose of the church. We need programs and buildings, don't we? We need them. But in many cases, they can become the things that, pre that prevent us from true discipleship and multiplying 
believers. When that starts to happen, we've got a problem. What about your ministry for those who serve? Ministry and religion can become some of the most subtle and easiest things in life to become our idols. You know, we can be involved in ministry at any level, but we've got to remember why we're doing it, who we're doing it for. Okay? You know, it can be very easy to fall into a place where you judge your success on the, the good you're doing rather than who you're ultimately doing it for. Many of us naturally desire encouragement, if you're like me. And you see what happens is we start striving for that encouragement. You need to guard your hearts against um, seeking out approval and commendation from others for what God has been working through you. All right. You know, it says in 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. And this is where idolatry of self is at its core. Okay, our hearts and minds must be centered on God and on others. And this is when, we asked the, this is when Jesus uh, was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. That's in Matthew 22, 37. All right, that was a lot of info. I just pulled out that verse. Moving along to verse 5. Now, this is where God intervenes. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Just let your imagination go free for a moment, right? It says opposite the lampstand. I cannot figure out for the life of me why that is there. I've, st- I've looked at every commentary. I've Googled my heart out. I'm not sure why <laughs> the scriptures point out that it happened opposite the lampstand. I'm thinking lampstands in the temple. I'm not really sure. I have to ask Chris Thompson when he's here. But the thing is, um, it's there. So I think it means something. If you find out what it is, please let me know. Verse 6. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. He is freaking out right now. And this bit here, it says, so the joints of his hips were loosened. It's actually believed that that translation was a euthanism for he wet himself, right? Now, look at the king's response. Not one of awe and wonder, but fear and dread. Now, you may have seen like a dramatic representation in the old 50s movies where he's sipping his wine and all of a sudden this little hand comes out and then you see this nice calligraphy on the wall like this. I mean, if that happened, you'd kind of be like, oh, wow, look at this, wouldn't you? It'd be like, a, like a, wow, he's freaking out. I reckon the hand comes out and it actually says, in the, king's in the first verse, sorry, so one, that, that one verse, in, it says, lampstand on the plaster of the wall. So it was actually like a rendered internal wall. I reckon the hand came out, stuck its finger in that plaster and just gouged these letters out. I reckon it reefed it right out that it was just chipping off of the wall and then it was big. I reckon it was big and it was in his face and it took up the whole wall, right? That would freak you out, right? Yeah, so that's what I think happened. It doesn't say that, but that's what I think because it... I mean, I don't think it's this nice little, you know, wing-ding kind of thing happening, but I reckon it just gouged it out the wall, right? 
Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldean, the soothsayers. The king spoke saying, wise men of Babylon, because he's desperate right now. He's freaking right out. Whoever reads the, this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have chain of gold around his neck. And he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. He's like, I'm going to make this guy the biggest thug gangster in this planet if he tells me what exactly this means. Because purple is really hard to make in the ancient world. It's very expensive. He's resorted to royalty. And he's telling him, I'm going to make you the third ruler. Why the third? Why not second? Well, because he's actually the second, because his dad's the real king, right? That's why. This seriously spooked the king, and he was desperate to find out what it means. So much so that he's, he's offering money and power to get the answer. There's always that op option there to counterfeit true spirituality, right? Verse 8, now the king's wise men came, and they could not read the writing or make known its interpretation. This is a display of God's absolute superiority and sovereignty over occult pagan attempts to re reveal and interpret spiritual mysteries, right? Now, counterfeit spirituality, new age has no authority over believers and never has, and they can never stand before the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit, right? I love here it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons in warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every side thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Amen. Verse 9, I'm just going to try, I've got 13 minutes, I'm going to try and land this thing, right? It says, verse 9, Now King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance had changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, remember, all his wives are already in there, so it's not the queen. It's actually believed that it's actually uh, Nictocus, I think his name is, is Nebuchadnezzar's uh, widow, who was the queen's mother, um, came in to the banquet hall, and she spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Verse 11, there is a man, I like this verse, there is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Now, something here, um, the American theologian Alastair Begg points out that this description that the Queen just described, how, how she described Daniel, is very similar to um, Isaiah chapter 11's prophecy of Jesus, right? Um, it's actually very, very similar, almost word to word on some translations, and that through Daniel's service, he reflected the character and heart of Jesus. And this pagan queen saw it. Now, there's something else here, right? Uh, through his service, he was put in charge over all the pagans, which is just funny and ironic. And verse 12, inasmuch as, as an excellent spiritual knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas, I bet you could unlock that Rubik's Cube, no problem, were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Stop here for a moment and look at this, right? Notice how his Hebrew name is Daniel, but they changed his name in Babylon to Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, his name actually means Bel, which is actually the chief of the Babylonian gods, to Bel protect the king. And as you'll see later, he did a pretty bad job at it. 
And Belshazzar, which is very similar, says Bel protects his life because Bel was the Babylonian god. But the queen here uses his Hebrew name and then goes back to his, uh, uses, then, uses, then explains who he is in his Babylonian name and goes back to his Hebrew. These are what they call theophoric names. They, a theophoric name is, it, it contains a, a, um, a reference to the God. Now, Daniel, see that L on his name in the translation? That's from L, which is a shortened form of Elohim, right? Like, and, and if you look at something like Hananiah, the other Jewish musketeer that was with him, right? Hananiah ends in R. That's from Yahweh, right? Like, my boys, I've got Judah, Elijah, Josiah, it's like every time I yell at them, I'm praising God. <laughs> it's like, I planned that, don't worry. Um, they're theophoric names. And see, Belshazzar has the pagan god Bel in it, and Danielle has Elohim in it, right? Now, she says, this guy, Danielle, she purposely uses his Hebrew name because she's giving, she's recognizing that it's actually El, where the power's coming from. And just so you know, it's actually Belshazzar, but then she goes back to say, no, no, but we need Danielle, so you can read the Bible or you can read the Bible, right? All right. Now, verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, the one who, from the captives of Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? Now, he's asking, are you that guy who came from Judah that my father brought here? That happened 70 years ago. 70 years ago. And if he was taken as a teenager, because the Bible refers to him as a young man, he, this guy's in his mid-80s now. He's an old dude, right? Now, let me just stop there for a second. He's getting called before kings in his mid-80s. There is no use-by date or expiry in the kingdom for people, Okay. Who, is anyone here over 80? No. All right. So God's not finished with you. You don't retire from ministry in the kingdom. All right? Too often, we sort of like have this idea like we're going to sit back and let the youngins take care of it. If you're in your 80s, let me assure you, these youngins, their, their frontal lobe doesn't develop fully until they're in their mid-20s. They need you. They need you. You know, like I hear, like sometimes, like older people will say to me, "Oh, it's too much emphasis on the youth ministry." It's like, yeah, well, they don't make them like you anymore. It's like you're a gun. <laughs> you're, you're in the like you're a veteran. These guys need you. All right, we need the youth too. We need you guys. Verse fourteen. I have heard of you. This is the king speaking, that the spirit of God is in you and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I'm just going to read through a bit here, right? Now, verse 15, now the wise men, the astrologers, have brought in before me and they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give an interpretation of the thing. Verse 16, and I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing made known to me it's in, and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and you shall be third ring ruler in the kingdom and be totally gangster. All right? 
the king's offering, you do this for me, I'll give you status, I'll give you wealth, I'll give you power. And you'll be in that music video with me pointing at my rims, all right? All the things that our modern culture defines as success and used to create a person's identity and determine their wealth. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? In our world, it's like, you know, it's like, watch that music video. I sit there with my daughter on YouTube watching music. I'm like, honey, just, no, babe, that's not how we do this. And it's like, yo, I got the gold, and I got mag wheels, and I got girls. It's like, maybe next. <laughs> and he's saying, I'm going to give you all that. Now, this is Daniel, veteran, veteran Daniel, right? I love Daniel's response. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your reward to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known its interpretation. This guy can't be bought. You know what? He's like, oh, you want to pay me to give you that interpretation? Suddenly there's a vested interest in the outcome, right? He's like, no, 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 I don't work for you. I have my own provider, right? You know, when you, you guys, when you're at work, you got to think like that, right? If you're on staff here at the church, the Lord pays you. If you're on staff in another company or work, the Lord still pays you. Who are you working for? Okay? Come on, we, we are followers of Christ. We serve Him. There's too much temptation and pressure these days to just bend for society and culture. What I'm saying is, if you want the God result, you've got to do it the God way. You can't lose with the stuff you use. My old youth pastor told me once. It, it's definitely, the culture's changing and it's turning against us. But God, Jesus told us that would happen. Like, you know, it's like, we don't need to go out and protest, we just need to stand firm. So that's the biblical way. I mean, I said something offensive at work. I get pulled into the office and get, you know, get the, the closed door talk. You know that one? I've had a few of them in the, over time. And I get told, Gareth, you need to understand not everyone agrees with you. Okay. Okay, fine. And then somebody said something which I took offense to and fired off. And I put in a complaint. I get taken into the office, sat down. Gareth, you just need to understand not everyone agrees with you. What's the idea? Like, what, how does that? It's, it's again, you know, that's what I'm saying. But at the end of the day, you stand firm. Jesus said. All right. Let your gifts be for another. Verse 18. O King, most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar. This is Daniel speaking. This is the interpretation. All right, and I'm going to get to something in just a second. O king, most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom, majesty, and glory. And because of the majesty, just, we're going to roll over 19. Because of the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, language trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. And he says, but, but when his heart was lifted up and the spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from the kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Now, if you just roll down to me, roll down with me to verse 22. He actually says, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. See, it's kind of hard to go this way when you're getting paid, right? Although you knew all this, 
you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear, because they're dead. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Pause here for a minute. This is what it all comes down to. Now, this verse is in the, in the New Living Translation. It says, but you have not honored the God who gives you breath of life and controls your destiny. The message, which is a study tool, not a scripture, okay, just so you know. But you treat with contempt the living God who holds your entire life from birth to death in his hand. Now, this is not just a statement for a pagan king. This is for everyone who's ever walked the face of this planet especially those who belong to Christ. Christians will often profess to believing that God is in absolute control of every aspect of their life. But often, often, some of us struggle to live like we actually believe it. Now, I believe there's a few areas here that are constantly against us living this way. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you fully believed that God was in control of every aspect and detail, right? I think one of the things that wars against us is fear. Fear makes us think all sorts of crazy things, right? When we're fearful, we are fearful, right, because we're not in control. Like, if you're ever in control, you're not fearful, right? So, you, you, when fear creeps in, you think you're out of control, you think everything's out of control, and when the fear is great enough, you suddenly believe God's not in control. And now when God's not in control, your faith gets stuffed out, Right? Now, faith is believing God is in control. Now, the other thing as well, number two, is that we have an enemy. We have an enemy that hates us, the demonic who hates God, and will do everything they can do to kill, steal, and, to, to kill, steal, and destroy the plans the Lord has for us. Now, the enemy's greatest weapon is that fear. But what's God called us to? Faith. Faith. We know that all things work together for those who love God in accordance to his purpose. And I have run out of time. So if everyone would like to stay, stand and we're going to pray. Faith in God overcomes. I didn't even get to the prophetic because we'd be here for a long time. If I got past chapter 8, it'd be like a three-week series. Daniel is a great example to us believers never to compromise the testimony of Jesus in our lives. The world needs more Daniels. It needs more followers of Christ who are willing to stand up no matter what the personal cost, no matter what the risks, no matter. But before we can stand for Christ, I just want to give you the opportunity. If you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have not given your life to Jesus, if you have not accepted his love, his grace, and his forgiveness, I would love to invite you to pray with me today and receive him as your Lord. Is there anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus personally? You may, I'm not asking if you've actually heard of him or know about him. I'm asking if you actually know him. Because if you, if you don't and you want to, it would be my absolute honor to pray with you. Is there anyone here today? 
that's okay. You know, I don't want to, like, you know, make anyone feel awkward or uncomfortable. I'm going to stick around and pray. So you can come and talk to me later on if you'd like to. But what I would like to do before we close up is pray for everyone that we would share that love and dedication to our Father like Daniel. Have that unshakable, unshakable commitment in our hearts, that rock-solid faith that God can use to take us through any situation. Any situation, no matter what you're face, facing. I just don't want to throw out a few cliche s- statements. I actually want to ask the Lord to grab a hold of your heart and just give you total revelation of His reality in your life. Come on, guys, pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord God, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that these words just stir such faith in our hearts. I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you touch every heart in this building, Lord God, every single person that's here. I pray, Lord God, that you would reveal them, reveal yourself to them in a whole new way. Those who know you and have walked with you for years, I pray, Lord God, that you would take them to a new level of understanding knowledge and lift their faith to a new level. Lord, those that don't know you, Father God, touch their heart, reveal yourself to them, Lord God. Speak to them in a way they hear you, Lord God, and know it's you. Thank you that you love them, Lord God. Thank you that you have your hand on their life. Thank you that you're working individually and uniquely right through their situation. And we thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in every person's life here, Lord God. We thank you that you're not finished with everyone, anyone in this room yet. You're working on every single person, Lord. You got thank you for your plans, your purposes, and we pray for you, just your blessing on them today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks, guys. Come on, give Gary.